Hello and welcome to Avenard's Diversity in Tech podcast. My name is Sandy Abrahams and I lead the managed services business at Avenard Australia. I'm also passionate about diversity and technology in STEM, which happens to be the topic of today's podcast. With me, I'm lucky enough to have Anne Burns, Managing Director of Resources Sector at Accenture Australia, Monica Kelly, who leads the transformation of sales, marketing and operations at Microsoft Australia, and Bernadette Harkin, who is the delivery lead for Avenard Australia. So, before we get started on the topic of today, I'd love to have a quick overview of who you are from each of you and maybe one interesting fact that nobody knows. And maybe we'll start with you. Hello. Good to see you, Sandy. Hello. I have been with Accenture over 20 years. Uh, Today feels like exactly the same as it did 20 years ago. I, I love my job. I'm the managing director of the resources sector, and it is the most incredible time of disruption and technology innovation. So I'm really enjoying myself at the moment, and I'm delighted to spend this time with you today. Uh, Things that you might not know about me. um, I'm a mother. I live in Mount Macedon, which is up in the mountains in Victoria. I'm a chicken whisperer. (laughs) I'm a dog lover, and I'm a wife. A chicken whisperer. A chicken whisperer. I love my chickens. Fresh eggs every day. Great. And welcome to you, Bernadette. Thanks, Sandy. Nice to be here. I lead delivery here at Avenard in Australia. I've just returned after living overseas for eight years and taken up the role here in Australia. Outside of work, I'm, I'm a mother as well to uh, a teenage boy and a preteen girl. And we love going to the beach, um, enjoying being back at Bondi and doing some ocean swimming, which is great. In terms of something that no one knows about me, in my spare time, when I do get time, I like to do a little bit of sewing. So just to relax and take up a bit of an ancient craft that my mother once taught me. Fantastic. So Monica, what's your story? I'm the Microsoft Transformation Lead here in Australia. Um, I'm also a mum to a five-year-old and a nine-year-old, and I'm having a great time leading the transformation of our business here in Australia. And what does nobody know about you? Well, after I've worn all of my hats of wife, mother, employee at Microsoft, daughter, sister, friend, um, I am a budding wellness expert. And so on the little bit of time that I get, I love to make sure I get to yoga and think very thoughtfully about what I'm eating and doing with my mind to try and find some calm in my very busy life. Oh, that's fantastic. And we need to find that place, don't we? So let's get on to the topic of today, though. So we're here to talk about diversity in technology. And really, originally, it was about women in technology. But we realised that, or I guess as a group, thought that the topic of diversity is probably a bit more important than just women, because it is more than that. Well, well, let's get the ball rolling and think about what does diversity actually mean for you? Bernadette, why don't you go first? Sure. Diversity to me is um, a really mixed workforce at the end of the day, if I wanted to put it into practical terms, whether that be gender, um, LGBT, cultural background, um, whether it be ethnic background, whether it be f- people from different countries and regions, etc., working together. That's what I really see as diversity. Mm-hmm. Different points of view. What are your thoughts, Monica? 
Well, I'm absolutely thrilled to be a part of the diversity journey that we're on at Microsoft. And we're approaching it both around finding diversity in our own workforce to be reflective of the customers that we serve across the world, customers and partners we serve across the world. But we've also got another whole aspect which has emerged under Satya Nadella's leadership around accessibility in technology. And that's what I find very thrilling, actually, um, around um, making technology or enabling people to do more. Um, that's where it gets really interesting for me. Can you just throw out an example? Because this is an exciting space. Very close to home, I have a good friend whose son is profoundly deaf and, and um, had cochlear implants at the age of two. When I shared a video with her recently that had been shown at a Microsoft technology event where um, there was artificial intelligence in um, glasses enabling um, and giving advice to this blind man as he joined meetings. So he would walk in and the artificial intelligence was able to give him audio commentary um, around who might be sitting on the other. That might be a blonde lady sitting over there. That might be a young child sitting over there. It left me with a, um, a bump in my throat and I shared that with my friend and that's what where it all comes alive for me and makes me very, very proud to be part of an organisation like Microsoft. And I know also that Avenard is bringing this type of thing to life for your customers and partners as well. Yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? And what about you? I think the definition has changed significantly over the last 10 years. Uh, I would have said something quite different 10 years ago if we'd have been sat here together. Um, we started our thinking top down, let's set the strategy for diversity and it rapidly evolved into inclusion and diversity. And now I would say our definition is really about creating a sense of belonging, uh, a sense of pride for everyone that works for us and everyone that we work with. And that sense of belonging has become very core to our culture. Um, my workforce is aged between 27 and 32. When you spend your time with many, many millennials, whether they're highly creative or deep technology experts, they educate you and enlighten you very quickly about what diversity means for them. And so the big lesson we've learned is actually a top-down agenda around inclusion and diversity doesn't work as well as a bottom-up enlightenment movement if you like around how do we create an inclusive and diverse workforce that generates that sense of belonging and really becomes a, a cornerstone of our culture and that's been a big shift for us in the last 10 years. Yeah and I think one of the things I didn't include um, which is an important point you made was that you know diversity also includes age diversity as well so I think you know there was a time in technology in Australia when it was all a very young workforce I think now we have a lot more millennials coming through which yeah. is which is nice to bring through those opinions and views but I think also more so it's you know we need to also spread that diversity across age groups because again that's that's the community we're focusing on. Absolutely and we, we see um, in our individuals a real desire to make personal commitments and in fact we have a campaign which is called inclusion starts with i you can google that and watch the video it's a, a very emotional commitment that many of our people have made that has been viral in our business our people really want to make those commitments and share them with each other and i agree with you it's all ages uh, all types of different people in different parts of our business and i think that's made a very good step forward in creating something that is bigger than just our business. It really creates a sense of pride and belonging that's way beyond what we do for a living. Mm. It is a great video. I do recommend our listeners actually 
go and watch it. It's fantastic. So let's just change track back to the women in technology and that angle of diversity for a moment. I was talking to my son, he's 13, about this podcast and uh, sort of explaining to him how our managing director at Avenard, Sarah Adam Gedge, has done a great job in actually increasing the number of women within the uh, business totally, within the leadership team definitely, uh, and the work that we've had to do to make that happen because it wouldn't have happened by accident. And his question to me was, but isn't that reverse discrimination? <laughs> wow. It was pretty big and I thought to myself, how does that come out? And how do I answer this? And I guess what I'd like to discuss here with you is what's your view on this affirmative action and quotas? I think we're looking at something in Australia where without those types of intentional targets, quotas and affirmative action, it hasn't organically taken care of things in Australia. We still see gender and diversity underrepresented in boards, in and across organisations. So I absolutely believe that to be intentional and to be creative about how we bring diversity to life is imperative. Yeah, I totally agree. I would have said, if you'd have asked me a couple of years ago, I would have said, absolutely no, I was not a believer in quotas. I fought really long and hard to get where I'd gotten to and my leadership position, and frankly, it was tough, and I would wasn't the result of a quota or an aspiration. It was really me um, battling away and getting to my dream job, which is the job I have today. Uh, there's a couple of things that have changed my mind, though. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had a conversation with Billie Jean King, a wonderful, uh, wonderful individual and a great role model for all that she's done, not just in tennis and sport, but what she's done for leadership. Uh, she made a very insightful comment to me, and she said, you know what, you can't be what you can't see. Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. And when I look around and I think I would love to one day be a director on an ASX board and I'm looking around and I'm thinking, well, actually, some of those numbers are not really where they need to be. And so actually, for me, I'm looking for some of those quotas, particularly in leadership. And for us internally, uh, we have a wonderful CEO who has set agendas who set quotas and we're now working towards 50-50 by 2025. You know, like Anne, I was once not for quotas either and I thought, I've worked really hard to get here. Yeah. Hey, someone's <laughs> going to get here and sit beside me on a quota now. How does that work? So um, I think over time, though, I've really changed my point of view on that. Um, when I saw how it could actually work in, in reality. So I think that the important thing there is to realise that we need to get a balanced slate of candidates who are capable of going into that role, of course, not only female candidates, but candidates from lots of different backgrounds into the mix. And that's where I see affirmative action starts there. It starts back in the universities. It starts back in the schools with STEM-type programs and, and giving girls a space where they can discover STEM careers and get excited about that and look at women who are ahead of them and say, hey, I, I want to be there one day. And like Anne, when I was early in my career, I used to look around me and say, hang on, is this over by the time I'm 40? Is that what it looks like? Because no. I can't see anyone beyond here. <laughs> 50s the new 40, don't let them tell you yeah, anything different. No, but earlier in my career, it, was, it felt like that, you know, but now it's changing, which is great. And I think that, you know, you can see the change happening and you can see the momentum, but I'm certainly for quotas and, and the change. So, Following on from that, and back to my 13-year-old son discussion, um, one of the things he was sort of saying was, 
this can't be good. Are we giving people a job that really isn't the best qualified job? And, you know, how do we make this work? And I know that a lot of men in the business sort of see a quota and think me or people like me are missing out. So how do we tell that audience that this is actually good for them and good for business? So why do we need diversity? Why do we need it? Monica? I think it's the degree to which we educate and talk about the higher order purpose and the the large change that is occurring at a world level. We see it politically, we see it economically, we see it socially and for us in the technology sector we see it around what technology is facilitating. So I think it's the degree to which we can bring to life like the larger scale momentum that is building of which diversity is an enabler. So that's at the broader level but if I look at a business, Mm -hmm. an individual business, Mm Um, Let's take us, consulting to many companies, we go in, we've got a company there. Why would a company like us need to have a diverse organisation? Because I think we're solving problems that have been not solved before. They are new problems um, and the pace at which we are trying to solve, the plan is and the belief is that diversity of thought, capability, background, mindset is that secret source around how we're going to solve those problems for and with our our clients. What do you think, Anne? For me, I think um, I get a lot of these questions, you know, why do we need a quota? Um, How do you make sure that you're not giving somebody the role just because of their gender? Uh, we have very rigorous processes and I encourage everybody to apply for every role that they are qualified for or frankly that they want to just have a go for and as you said before male or female, male or female to give them the opportunity to to give a new role a go and to see what that does for their career uh, we need diversity I think partially because what we were talking about earlier on that our clients are very diverse in their makeup but I actually think it's it creates a different environment in which we work and it absolutely engenders collaboration in a very natural way. Everyone says, oh, let's collaborate, let's collaborate. It's sometimes it's a bit difficult to do that unless you have a mix of different skills in the room. And so for me, diversity is important because it brings those different points of view and it has a completely different outcome. Yeah, I agree. And, and one of the things that I've read about in the last couple of years is, is unconscious bias as well. And I think, you know, if you come from a certain background, perhaps even, even my own, you know, you come from a certain background and when you go into situations, you have an unconscious bias about decisions you might make, choices you might make, recommendations. And I think that we need to get away from that. And one of the ways of getting that is being more open and, and being more open to people from different backgrounds, working with them, and um, being creative for our clients as, as a result. And it's amazing when you see that happen in the room. You can see it's almost like an alchemy happens. It's, it's almost magic when you see that light go on and you can tell that all those diverse opinions are going to come out with something that is quite amazing. Absolutely. Particularly if you're working on something that is technology-rich or demands a, a high level of creativity. I love watching that. I love seeing it. I know my clients really enjoy the different ways of working as a direct result of diversity. Yeah. I want to go back to something you just talked about, the great collaboration environments. Mm. I'm listening to a podcast at the moment from Harvard Business Review and uh, Deborah Tannen, who's a professor of linguistics at Georgetown University, she talks a lot about the language 
that we use, that women use when they're in meetings, their ability to be heard. So it is good that we have diversity and mm. get the people in the group. And I guess you touched on earlier inclusion and the importance of inclusion. And that also does give women a voice to be heard. But what are your thoughts on that? Are Absolutely. we strong enough? I, um, I have taught myself, and you'd be surprised to hear this, but I'm quite an extrovert. Uh, I have taught myself to uh, really watch the introverts in the room. The introverts generally are more analytic uh, and they actually have deeper insights, whereas the extroverts want to express themselves and, and uh, demonstrate their prowess on a particular subject. Uh, I think uh, certainly in observing the introverts and the extroverts and encouraging the introverts to participate, and quite often we work in very multicultural environments. I've done a lot of work in Japan and China and all the way across ASEAN. It's really important that those voices are heard. And I think as a leader, and certainly as a female leader, I'm more attuned to that than some of my other colleagues. But I have taught myself to make sure that you include and invite those people to the conversation. And because everybody's different, not just in gender, but in personality, that's something that I've done very consciously to get that collaboration working. Hmm. So the inclusion bit in this instance is absolutely critical, isn't it? To absolutely. make the most Culturally, of the diversity. personality, gender, skills. I am constantly surrounded by engineers in the resources sector, as you can imagine. Uh, an introverted engineer is uh, actually, a, uh, forgive the pun, but a mine of information and insights. And I think in those environments, collaboration, you know, it needs to be a safe place as well. So somewhere if you do go out and you feel uncomfortable out saying something, that it is a safe place. You're not going to be reprimanded or berated about it. You're going to be encouraged and it's going to be discussed. So in collaboration, it's got to be that sort of environment that it's transparent. You know, you say that in the room, you don't go outside of the room and say it separately and make decisions separately. We are a team and, and collaboration is, is really crucial I to that. Your, your comment about language was important. I mean, I must say 50 times a day, how might we? Or what would make this even better than? Uh, and those small comments and those small constructs actually invite discussion. And our language has certainly changed. Uh, I, um, I was English educated, so I have a, an obsession with grammar, but I also have an obsession with kitchen English. So if we can talk to each other in really simple terms, then the conversation not only gets richer, but actually everybody around the table can, can understand. understand it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'd comment again on the pace at which we're trying to solve these new problems and I have absolutely seen um, the way that we have changed the way that we're working in our teams, adopting a growth mindset, asking more questions. It's been a big topic in Microsoft to move what was referred, move from what was referred to as a know-it-all to a learn-it-all culture. And so part of the building blocks of adopting that growth mindset, learn-it-all culture has been asking more open questions, being more prepared to be enlightened by another attitude or experience within the room, um, as well as being well aware of your unconscious bias. And we all have it, right? Acknowledging that it's there and making allowances to make sure that you, especially as a leader in a room, are being inclusive of the various ideas and thoughts that come into the conversation. Mm. All right, time to change angle just a little bit. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Anne. Are there any specific areas in your business that you feel needs focusing on in terms of diversity? 
Absolutely. I um, see many talented individuals coming through our ranks and they reach a certain stage in their career and there are life changes that happen, whether it's children or elderly parents or a number of things that happen that demand uh, more time and effort outside of work than in work. I spend a lot of my time thinking about those people. I refer to them as the, the missing middle and the mechanisms to keep them connected to the mothership. Uh, we continue to focus on our sense of belonging, even though those folks might be taking time out. Uh, we have other people who want to take time out because they want to uh, contribute in a not-for-profit manner and they might want to take 12 months or 18 months away and work on something that's personally important to them. Uh, focusing on keeping those people connected, making sure that we have flexible work practices for them to take that time out and return to work, and frankly spending a lot of time making sure that when they do return to work that that landing point is a safe landing point. And it might be a transition. It might be a transition into a, uh, a different role or the same role at a different level, but really spending that time. And I was discussing this with one of my sheroes uh, the other day, and uh, she said to me as I, as I was leaving, and it stuck in my mind, she said to me, you know, Anne, whatever you do, you need to remember that hell has a special place for women who don't help other women. Absolutely. Now, I want you to repeat that word and define it for me. Sheroes. Sheroes. So these are female heroes. So I have many, Billie Jean King, as I talked about, uh, many that are in uh, Australian industry, but uh, I, uh, I like to use that word sheroes because I think it gives a different definition uh, to the word. Yeah. And you brought up the topic of the missing middle. I'm interested to understand what do we think creates the missing middle? Bernadette, do you have a view on that? What creates the missing middle? I, th I think that um, sometimes if we, if we look at women in particular, you know, they take the time out perhaps for family reasons and then they find it difficult to come back um, but may not come back into something that is f as full on as what they what they left on, and that does create a missing middle um, and a missing middle of people who are then trying to further their careers. Who see that you know you have to work longer hours, you have to really work harder, etc., to get up there, and are they prepared to make that sacrifice? I know for me, um, you know, when I came back after my second child, I, I walked into the office and I only took six. Weeks weeks off so it was a pretty short break and I was fortunate enough to have uh, my husband at home um, who was the full-time carer in the house and I walked into the to the building and the first thing that anyone said to me was the building manager said I should be home with my baby well lucky for me I don't let um, one comment or one person define my career so I moved on beyond that but I can see that there is sort of you know those social norms out there that are influencing um, that middle and that people tend to drop out at that point and not perhaps come back in at the same place. Yeah, so societal expectations yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, in my case, it wasn't a building manager, but certainly a lot of commentary from clients and colleagues alike around, well, of course you're back after six months. I couldn't imagine you being at home with children all day, um, which is an interesting comment when you've been up all night with a baby and you're really, again, spinning plates to make this all happen. Um, so the social norms are loud, the structural pieces um, when I was having children, um, again the, this concept of parental
to leave the fact that, you know, a father or a mother might like to take off. There are big structural messages there as well to say the only person that we could possibly perceive will be at home with children will be the mum. And I actually think it's not fair to the dads either. I think it's a fa it's not a good outcome for families to have everything loaded up um, on all of those types of leave arrangements that have emerged only loaded up for women. Um, so I think there's some structural stuff there as well as some very loud messages that you should be at home with your, with your baby. So on the rare occasion that you might be able to overcome all of that, that's the person who shows up for us as leaders in our companies to work out how to make work life good for these people. And I think there's a lot of work then around how we um, really well integrate and are really thinking about ways to support that re-entry um, and growth into expanded roles as you do return to work. Yeah, and I, I think working in different countries for me has, has enabled me to get a, a really different perspective on how it's, how it's viewed in different cultures. Particularly when I was, you know, in, in the Philippines, I was really enlightened by professional women who have family structures that support them in being back at work, um, that have the ability to have, you know, you know, that assistance to just be out there and not be judged but at the same time manage to balance the time that they have with that family and the growth of that family and, and being a, a strong parent at the same time. I mean, I do see those social norms changing here in Australia. There are many positive changes that are happening right now. Um, and certainly your 13-year-old son, when he's asking you those questions, mm. that demonstrates for me and gives me a great deal of hope that actually those discussions are actually being had. And we wouldn't be sitting here talking about social norms five, ten years ago. And I see a lot of change, uh, both culturally and socially here in Australia, that I think lends to the fact that in future, those social norms won't be as stringent. And we won't get into this conversation about what you should do and what you shouldn't do. I think it will be much more around what would you like to do? Any tips for how we can address it? Monica, what do you think? Keep practising. Um, my friends and I often chuckle um, when we receive phone calls from recruiters who want a woman on the shortlist. And I just see that <laughs> as being an example of sometimes the clumsiness that occurs well-intentioned, um, but I think the degree to which we keep on doing this, some of those clumsy conversations um, will be replaced by people really intentionally um, approaching recruitment, selection, performance management with that bigger picture in mind around how a diverse organisation is good for business. Yeah. And Flexible work practices, keep an open mind, encourage people, uh, identify role models who are making it work. There are two ladies that sit on my leadership team. One of them, uh, when she was away for her second child, she went to live in the south of France for six months, came back and told everybody about this fabulous experience she'd had in, in Cannes. And there was a list of ladies who immediately decided that they were going to move forward with their families because they also wanted to go to the south of France. And so I think being really open about your experiences and yes, it is tough to come back to work. I have uh, a gentleman who has two, two kids and he also took time out. And again, he was very vocal and I encouraged him to be vocal about what it was like and what he did when he was away and what uh, he did when he came back and why it was different and I think just having those conversations in an open and honest way inspires certainly our younger people to do things a bit differently to the way that we might have done things. 
Right. And I think it's also an understanding that, that not one situation suits all as well. So everyone's different. What works for one family might be different for another. Um, and, and, you know, and just accepting that and being able to have the flexible workforce approach around that to be able to adapt to the situation that that person is in. Because at the end of the day, you know, individuals are so valuable to the organisation and, and really those skills, you know, we want those skills back. We want those people enjoying their career and, and having the career growth that they, they really aspire to. So we need to support that in, in different ways and be flexible about it. But the social norms don't change unless you encourage them to change. Yeah, that's right. And that's a, it's a tough one, though. It's a tough change to enable, I think. But we've got to keep working on it. Well, this has been a great conversation. We've covered off diversity, its definition. We've covered affirmative action and quotas. And we've talked a bit about the missing middle and what we can do to support that group of people and ensure that we've got you know, a really great, diverse um, organisation and workforce. So to finish with, what would be your one wish around diversity? For me, I feel very optimistic about the future. Uh, I would love to see uh, a great change in women in technology. Uh, certainly the research we've done suggests that digital fluency in women is generating a great deal of momentum. My one wish is that we focus on education for girls in schools, particularly around technology and STEM subjects, and that we invest as much time and energy and money, frankly, into that because I truly believe that the next generation will experience equality in a way that we haven't seen. And I certainly think that some of the things that are going to come out of those bright young sparks as they come through university is going to be quite incredible and uh, happy to take any CVs of folks that are thinking about joining us. Great. Thanks, Anne. Bernadette? So, yeah, I agree on the, on the focus on the people that are coming through the pipeline. So the girls who are in school now looking at STEM and encouraging them around STEM careers and STEM subjects. I think that's, that's really something we need a big focus on. Um, I think the other wish is that sometimes, you know, I feel that women in the workforce need to probably take advantage of as much as you can. I mean, there's a lot on offer to us, particularly in Avenage, you know, there's plenty of training out there, plenty of capability development. Take advantage of it, really soak it up and use that to propel yourself along as well. That's one wish that people would take more advantage of what's, what's on offer. Couldn't agree more, Bernadette. For me, it's quite personal because I participate in conversations like this at work. I work in an organisation that runs programs. It's been, it's been quite intentional about women and girls in STEM. So I participate in the big picture. I participate in paying it forward to younger women in our business or other diverse people that we're growing in our business. And I also have a five-year-old who just started school who's setting out with the intention of her own volition to be an engineer. And so so I look forward for the perfect storm so that when she shows up to um, finish her further education or shows up um, to participate in business or some other endeavour, that things have really, really moved on because all of these blocks that we're working on have come together and there is a different approach in the future. So that's my personal um, hope and wish. Sandy, what are, what's on your mind? What do I wish for? I wish for something that I can make happen totally, and that is to have more time with the people that are earlier in their career. People don't feel like they can reach out to the women leaders in the business. We, it's like we're on an ivory tower and we're perfect. 
And I don't know about the rest of you ladies. No, I'm, I'm perfect. Neither, <laughs> I don't know what your problem is. I'm, I'm perfect. I'm neither of those things. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny as you go up the ladder, you realise how, how less imperfect people are at the top or how much quirkier <laughs> they are. <become. laughs> I actually want to hear that we've, we've had struggles, that it hasn't been easy, that we've been knocked for promotion ten times, you know, even though we're now at a promoted level, that we, we had those issues. And that's what they want to know, that we're real people and that we have real stories. And, and not just some time, like long, slow time, so that the time you're that not in a needs. rush. And that's right. Absolutely, I agree with that, 100%. I'd like to thank all my guests. We've had a fantastic conversation today. It's been a really great podcast. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you for having me. Thank you, it's been fun. <laughs>